How do we make manufacturing attractive to a new generation of workers? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. challenge for American manufacturing today is twofold, getting production to relocate from China back to the U.S. and, once that's accomplished, finding enough skilled labor in this country to support it. To a large extent, the industry is made up of an aging workforce, one that's not prepared to handle the kind of cutting-edge technology that's necessary to the sector's recovery and continued health. On this episode, I speak with Sar Yoskovitz, CEO of Augury, who discusses the generational gap in manufacturing and how it needs to embrace new digital tools and automation in order to compete with cheap offshore production. We learn about the difference between automation and digitization, what the future role of humans in the factory might look like, and how the industry will meet a growing need for remote collaboration in a time of pandemic. So here is my conversation with Sar Yoskovitz. Sar Yoskovitz, welcome to the show. Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. Sar, please describe for me, as you see it, the generational gap that exists today in manufacturing? I'm co-founder and CEO of Augury, and, and what we do, we work with the largest manufacturers. As, as that, we have a pretty good view, mostly in the process industries, how the different facilities and even the corporate level, how they're addressing, one, the challenges of COVID, which we can go into that in a second. But in, in general, how do you bring new technologies into a traditional workforce? And how do you need to retrain right, the, the different capabilities and up-level the skill set of the existing workforce in order for them to be successful in this new reality? Right? So I think one aspect of the generation gap is we're trying to throw technology on a group of people that is not necessarily the most savvy and not necessarily the most accepting uh, of new technologies. And that is definitely one challenge the market is going to face in the kind of upcoming couple of years. When you're saying they're not savvy, you're talking about the existing workforce, the older workforce, right? Correct. So I went into a room to speak in front of the, the, the whole operation, maintenance operation staff in, in one facility. And the average age in that room was above 50 years old. Wow. Right? That, that means that in seven, eight years, most of them will not be in the workforce anymore. Right? They're going to retire. And I spoke to one senior executive at a large paper company. And he told me that every year they lose 8% of the workforce due to retirement. And with them, they lose 25% of the knowledge. So when they look at, at digitization, it's not how do I improve and, and kind of create new defensible modes. It's how do I stay in place? They're having a hard time just keeping up. Uh, with the current demand that they have. So new blood is definitely needed here. How is that being addressed? How is it being attracted, if indeed it is, in today's environment? So I think today it's really challenging. It's challenging for a couple of reasons, right? One, we've seen historically uh, manufacturing leave the country, and there are more conversations now on, on reshoring, right? And 
you know, it doesn't matter where the election would go in, in, in November. I think both candidates, both parties are talking about massive incentives for bringing back manufacturing to the U.S. And, and that may open up some new roles, an opportunity to bring fresh blood, as you said, at, uh, back into manufacturing. I think the, the second piece is around upleveling education, right? So we can go into the role that universities and, and trade schools have to play and bringing that more tech-focused generation that grew up with smartphones and social networks and surrounding themselves with AI solutions like Google Home and Amazon Alexa. And they just are expecting technology to do certain things for them, right, that maybe the older generations haven't. And as they go on the production line, they expect to use technology in a different way, right, and not just to rely on their screwdrivers and wrenches anymore. But... The world that we're trying to attract the younger workers into in a manufacturing environment is quite different from that which it was before with the older workers. It's not like you're just bringing in new workers to do the same types of tasks in the same environment. It's a very different world now, is it not? Well, it's getting there. And I think for the past two decades, we have seen a big push for automation, right? And we differentiate between automation and digitization. So automation is how do I take repetitive tasks that today humans are doing, and I replace humans with machines, right, and robots. I think that the, the industry has done a phenomenal job in kind of squeezing technology to, to the limits there. But digitization is, is something very different. Instead of treating the workers as another cog in the system and trying to replace them, digitization tries to put people in the center and having them build the system, not just be a part of the system. So I think that now as we start to digitize more and provide tools that empower people to make better decisions, that provide the insights and the data and visibility, this brings a whole new way of a mode of work, a whole new way of looking at manufacturing, the relationships mm -hmm. between operations, maintenance and reliability specifically are going to be transformed in the upcoming five years. Well, let's divide it into two areas here in the factory. One is on the production floor, and the other is supporting roles in support of that action. On the production floor, you're talking about replacing a number of jobs with robots, with automation, but we're also hearing about the use of collaborative robots or cobots. In other words, mm. those people who do remain on the floor must have the ability and the willingness to work alongside robots and automation. So is that a requirement as well? And is that something that younger people are maybe more given to? I think that by definition, the way that the younger generations grew up, they're a bit more open to different technologies surrounding them in close proximity. So yes, and I think you have a lot of good examples on the logistics side in warehousing and how robots can coexist with people. I think on the manufacturing line, it's, it's still a bit more complex and we haven't seen the breakthroughs that we need to see to have everyone really comfortable in that setting. The support aspect of it, I guess the people who would be brought in to design the technology, to support it, to maintain it, to enhance it in some way or another, it seems like that is a completely different class of worker that requires a higher level of sophistication and education that simply wasn't required before on the production line. Is that indeed the case? And if so, is that what we're bringing the younger people in to do more than actually just standing on a production line and, uh, as you say, with <laughs> screwdrivers, virtual or not? I definitely agree that that class of workers is becoming more and more sophisticated and in the skill sets. But I, I do think that what will happen or is already happening is that even the maintenance technicians are going to rely on technology to make better decisions, mm -hmm. right? So I think we have kind of a shift right of 
all of the different jobs to be done today are, are becoming more knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. Even if in the past they were pure kind of muscle or, or whatever. I'll give you an example from our domain. A maintenance technician today needs to receive recommendations from an AI solution that tells him which machines he needs to address and what is the risk involved of delaying a repair by two weeks. This is a very different decision than this person used to have. Every month, you need to replace the oil. Every quarter, you need to change the bearing. We're no longer in that schedule-based maintenance anymore. Right. So here you have a technician that needs to understand the complexity of AI solutions and what the downsides and risks attached to it are. So there's a lot of predictive maintenance being dictated by the machines, right? Through artificial intelligence, through machine learning, whatever you want to call it. It almost paints a picture of those humans that remain in the facility as just button pushers obeying the directives of the machine. And I I think that's probably not totally accurate, right? I mean, where are the really fulfilling human-based jobs that would attract younger people into a manufacturing environment. Yeah, well, I think that it's actually the exact opposite. If you look at maintenance schedules today, most teams, I don't want to overgeneralize, have uh, preventive maintenance, schedule-based maintenance or repairs where they come into work, they know exactly what they need to do. Yes, they may have some complications and troubleshooting and something happens out of the blue, but that is a very kind of rigorous type of of job to, uh, to have, whereas now, when, when you feed them with all the information and you provide real-time visibility to the actual health and performance of the machine, they need to start making risk management decisions. Do I fix this machine today or do I wait another week? And why would you wait another week? Because you have a big order coming in and you need to fulfill that. Those are human decisions being made, you're saying? A hundred percent, yes. The, the machine isn't telling you to make, those, to make those actions. A human being needs to make that determination still. Correct. Interesting. Yeah. So there's still a place for people. But what is the level of education required of people coming into a manufacturing environment today? Is it a trade school? Is it a university degree? Is it sophisticated mathematical and analytical abilities? What are we asking of these people that we want to bring into the manufacturing environment? So my view coming from the technology provider side is that the onus is on us as technology vendors to reduce the complexity, right? So I don't agree that every person on the line needs to be able to program a computer or have a statistics background. It's on us to provide not only the recommendation, but but also enough context as to why the, the system got to this kind of outcome, right? So why did we recommend this fault or another or this mode of action versus another. We do see some technologies provide tools for data scientists with the expectation that every manufacturing company will now build a hundred people workforce of data scientists that crunch data. I actually have a very different view on on where the industry should go. Different in the sense of it sounds like what, more positive or different exactly how? Well, in the sense that the technology vendors should be more vertically integrated, if you will. In our case, as an example, we come in to solve a very specific problem. We don't sell you an AI tool that enables you to configure it the way you want. We come in to make sure your, your machines work, right? So we sell a machine, sell a, a machine health kind of service. Uh-huh. Because we are so focused, we are able to go all the way to re- specific recommendations without you requiring data scientists and people that really understand 
machine learning mm-hmm. or data integrations and cleansing and, and all of that. Those people on the floor don't have to be that super sophisticated with advanced degrees in order to take jobs in this industry. But I am also wondering, though, to what extent, I mean, if we had this conversation a year ago or maybe even six months ago, mm-hmm. we would have been a different conversation in terms of the fact that back then we had 3% unemployment and it was hard for anyone to find candidates for jobs. Let's mm-hmm. assume that when this state of affairs that we're currently suffering through is over and we get back to an environment like that, how then will we attract the young people into this entire industry? How do you make it appealing and make them even consider that this is a possible career path for them? I think shining the light on the advancements in technologies, or rather the penetration of advanced technologies into this industry. It really is a rebranding of what it means to be a production line worker, or even corporate being a reliability manager or manufacturing manager. We need to rebrand it as a very sophisticated role that includes both people management and processes and and tools that are bleeding edge, right? So Mm -hmm. something very interesting that we've been seeing, so that the whole notion of agile and lean thinking really emerged in manufacturing, right? So the Toyota production system and then TPM uh, and whatnot. But in the last couple of decades, it went through a side tour within the software development space. So agile software development and then lean startups and and lean marketing and and whatnot. And now we're seeing it come back into manufacturing. So the same modes of operation that cross-functional pods or small teams that we see in product engineering teams, we now also see emerge in reliability maintenance operation teams. We can really paint the the next generation of production line workers as something that is much different, much more sophisticated, much more demanding of the people that are uh, on site. To what extent do these opportunities depend on the ability of manufacturers to reshore operations back here to this country versus simply keeping them in distant places like China. I mean, if the factories are there, way over there in China, it seems to me that there are, that makes for fewer opportunities for this younger generation to come in. So does it depend on reshoring for this to become a real opportunity? On the corporate side, not, not necessarily. We're seeing the rise of what we call the virtual shift. Right, You have the kind of day shift, night shift, and then the virtual shift. And when you talk to these large manufacturers, they envision a control tower that is always on. And instead of sending the experts to the machines, we can send the data to the experts, and then they can collaborate remotely and solve the problem. Right? So it could be through IoT technologies that provide the data. It could be through augmented reality, where someone on the production line can put on the AR goggles and an expert can guide them from afar. So there are a lot of opportunities coming up of remote collaboration. So you don't have to physically be on the production line in order to have significant impact. As we rethink workspaces in the age of the pandemic and going forward, because I think everyone agrees that this probably isn't the last such incident or state of affairs we'll face like this, and we see more of a need for distancing in workplaces whenever possible, Do you think that COVID-19 is even accelerating the pace of automation in manufacturing to the extent where fewer and fewer people will actually be needed at all because of the impossibility of human workers functioning in a factory in a socially distanced manner? A hundred percent. I think that it's not just in manufacturing. You know, look at technology companies as an example. I can take Augury, right? We are now rethinking what is the role of the physical office? We were forced to become remote only. 
it actually didn't really affect us that much. We understand that the impact it has on collaboration and, and the personal relationships and trust that we work so hard on, on building. But even in a post-COVID world, we can achieve that in different ways. We don't have to go back to nine to five, five days a week. I think the whole world is kind of reimagining what the work-life balance will look like post-COVID. But one thing is certain that remote collaboration has been missing in the manufacturing space. And for a company, again, like Augury, we have different digital communication tools. We work with Slack. We have uh, Jira for engineers, Salesforce for the go-to-market team, and, and other type of digital tools for for collaboration, maintenance managers don't have that. Most of the software today is on-prem. They don't have access to it from home. And they, they woke up to this new reality that they really need to get with the times here because there are some advantages to this new model. Bottom line, though, we're talking about a situation where manufacturers have no choice but to attract younger workers because, as you pointed out, 8% of the older workers are retiring and 25% mm-hmm. of their skills are going with them. And so I guess this is the solution just has to happen. There's just no other choice, right? What would be the alternative if we failed to bring a younger generation in? Just no manufacturing base in this country at all? I think that is the cost that we've seen in the, in the massive offshoring in the last couple of decades, right? So the know-how of certain segments and industries has just fled the country. And part of the challenge is now that, let's say we have a $3 billion CapEx incentive to bring manufacturing back, there are not enough workers to fill in all of the requirements to do that. Right? So you must rely yeah. on, on digital tools to be more productive, and then you can maybe bring them the next generation of people that are looking for that more sophisticated role. What an interesting challenge. Well, Sar Yaskovitz of Augury, thank you so much for talking to us today about what some of the possible solutions are to bring a younger generation into the new manufacturing environment of our time. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That was my conversation with Sar Yoskovitz of Augury, talking about the generation gap in American manufacturing. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well and see you next time.